0: Welcome to this week's edition of the Baseball America College podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me as always is my colleague, Joe Healy. And we will be joined a little later in the show by Air Force coach, Mike Kozlowski. Uh, excited to, to talk with him. Uh, but before we get to all of that, we are, I've got to let you know that the Baseball America College podcast is presented by Rapsodo. Rapsodo has become the industry standard in player performance data. Coaches use Rapsodo data as a measuring stick for player development and evaluation. The Rapsodo National Player Database is a free service that allows you to see how you stack up against your peers and provides a pathway to get discovered by scouts. You can check out the Rapsodo National Player Database at rapsodo.com slash national database. All right, Joe, uh, we have reached the middle of December. It's hard to believe, but the, uh, the scheduled opening day for college baseball is a little more than two months away. Uh, it's coming up fast on us at Baseball America. It's also a busy time as we put the finishing touches on our Baseball America prospect handbook, ranking the top 30 prospects for all 30 major league teams. You can pre-order that at baseballamerica.com. Uh, so it's, uh, it's a busy time here in the middle of December, and uh, you know we're, we're glad to be talking
1: some college baseball. Indeed, and hearing you say two months from opening day was kind of jarring to me, actually. that Hearing that amount of time specifically was kind of a little bit of a wake-up call. Does that
0: feel, so I've been thinking about this a lot over the last week as I've worked on a story about how schedules are coming into shape. Two months till opening day both feels like a blink of an eye and like it might as well be 10 years from now.
1: Yeah, I think it feels like, blink of an eye, I think because of the way, and we've talked about this before, I think because of the way opening day falls and the way preparation for opening day falls, where you've got Christmas and New Year's bang, bang, and then you come back from that and all of a sudden it's full speed ahead. I think that's part of why, if it were just two months of just nothing but regular old work weeks, maybe it would feel a little bit longer. But for me, it feels like that's gonna be the blink of an eye. But as we've also discussed before, Time in this pandemic has kind of contracted and expanded at odd intervals, and so I would also believe you if you told me we look back on opening day and it feels like it's been six years since you and I had this conversation right here. So I, I'd believe it either way, but to me, it feels like it's right on top of us.
0: Yeah, I think that's I think that's about right. It just is one of those things where yeah, two months, it, two so much can happen in the next two months that you know it. it, it it's hard to predict out two months, but yeah, the, the fact that when you say opening day is two months away, especially given how long this off season has been, it does feel like, oh boy, <laughs> all yeah. of a sudden it's right here. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, you're right. Busy, busy time here at the end of the year. If you're someone who thinks my, like, my goodness, I wish I could get more of Joe Healy's work in my hands. Like I just cannot get enough. Make sure to pre-order the prospect handbook or buy it once it's released and you can see my work on the Colorado Rockies. I am a part of the prospect handbook for the first time this year. And that's been a new experience for me, but a good experience. I'm happy to have been a part of it and feel like I'm contributing to it a little more this year. Last year, for listeners who have been with us since then, listeners may remember that I had just started working in the office and working full time for BA at around this time last year. And so I kind of came in at the very end, of the prospect handbook process. So it's been kind of nice to um, be a little more involved in that this year. One other thing that I was thinking about since it's the end of the year, Teddy, have you seen, I'm sure you have, I don't know how you could escape it, but if you are a, a Spotify listener, you know how Spotify will spit at you like your top songs of the year, top artists or top podcasts or what have you?
0: Yes, as a Spotify user, I, I am aware. You can subscribe to the Baseball America College podcast on Spotify if you're listening there right now.
1: Bingo. So Not, not a sponsor, but, but we do put the podcast on the platform. Indeed. So we're platform agnostic, you might say. So I, that's always interesting to me when, when people show those and you know, I'll, I'll look at mine or what have you. So I've got a special deal for our customers here and I've not told, Teddy is going to hear about this at the same time you are, dear listeners. Well, not at the same time because if he's hearing it live, you'll hear it after this podcast has been recorded and produced. But uh, if you, now I'm not going to say the Baseball America podcast has to be, has to show up on your Spotify top podcasts because- you know what? That's Bonus points if that's the case. I'm going to broaden it out. If you send a screenshot to me on Twitter or via email, and my email is findable, um, I won't read it out, but it's findable out there. If you send me a screenshot of you listening to one of our podcasts, it can even be one of the the various uh, pro baseball podcasts we're putting out there. Kyle Glazer is hosting a great series of podcast with the writers who did each top 10 prospect list in our handbook he's going through that series now JJ cooper's done a lot of podcasting on the minor league realignment all that so it doesn't even have to be one of mine and Teddy's podcast but if you screenshot a picture of you listening to our podcast and again bonus points if you screenshot and send me something that shows that we were among your top podcasts for the year 2020 I will send you an extremely poorly drawn sketch freehand. The baseball player of your choosing. And I'm serious as hell about that. I'm a terrible artist. It is going to be really bad, but we'll have to do a little bit of coordinating for me to get this to you. But I will send you a terribly drawn freehand sketch of the baseball player of your choosing. Could be a retired player, Hall of Famer, just an, a generic older player. Could be a current player, current college player. It could be a picture of, you know, your son playing in Little League, whatever it is. I will do a poorly drawn freehand sketch of it. And again i like i feel like people think maybe like oh he can draw a little bit but he's not very good no no no. i'm a terrible artist truly terrible but i'm going to give this a shot so send me those screenshots and i will send you horrible horrible truly awful artwork what a
0: deal i mean exactly what a deal indeed so listeners uh make sure to uh to take advantage of that and you can uh Again, like I said, you can uh I, I guess the Spotify lingo is follow us on Spotify. Whatever, mm. you can subscribe. I don't care what they're what they're calling it. Um, Spotify, Stitcher, uh, Apple Podcasts, wherever you're finding your podcast. But again, in this case, Joe is Joe is talking about Spotify. So so check us out there. All right, Joe. Uh you know, I referenced the uh the the fact that I've been working on a story about schedules. Um, So let's get into that a little bit here before we get to our interview with coach Kaz. The, the season being two months away means that typically we would have just about every team's 2021 schedule by now. Uh, But because of the pandemic and a lot of uncertainties and budget cuts and all the rest of that, we have instead just about nobody's scheduled, and there's a lot up in the air about what you know each conference, how how they're going to approach scheduling this year. We've talked about this before. Um, you know, and the, the Big 10 has gone conference only. The Mountain West has kind of bulked up their conference section and set a cap on the number of games that their teams can play. Um, below the the 56 games that you're typically allowed so there's there's a lot to um you know a lot of different options there I wrote about what the SEC is doing they um you know they've been a leader in college baseball in a lot of different ways on and off the field I think a lot of conferences are kind of looking to see what the SEC does as they make their decisions uh, but there's also just something to be said for looking at the SEC as a microcosm of college baseball. Um, they are the biggest, you know, most influential conference perhaps, so maybe some of their decisions aren't going to match, you know, the decision-making process of, say, the OBC, but everyone is working through the same problems uh, at the same time here. So I dug into the SEC over the last week or so. And I guess the, uh, you can read the story at baseballamerica.com. The too long didn't read it version is nothing has been decided. Everything is on the table. And I mean, everything from like a status quo 56 game season that you'd normally see to conference only. Uh, I'll also say though that there's not much appetite in the sec for going conference only for a variety of reasons, but the, the, the big part of it, I, I think, is that the SEC is not close to making a decision. That you've seen how patient they've been with other sports, how deliberate their decision-making process has been over the course of the pandemic. They are sticking to that. Um, they are not going to come out with something just for the sake of having something. They want to you know, take as much time as they can to gather all the information and you know from a perspective of what is best for them and their programs like that's there's there's a lot of logic behind that you can certainly see where they're coming from from a broader you know what would be best for college baseball perspective it might be you know there, there's something to be said i think for them taking a lead and saying this is what we're doing um you know for for all the coaches that that want to know um you know, here's what the biggest conferences is setting out to do, uh, but that's not. I would not look for that to happen. I would look for them to make a decision in the new year. As one coach in the league told me, like, look, if we have to go to conference-only games, we can do it on February 1st. Um, you know, the the conference didn't set a soccer schedule out this fall until a week before their games started, so you know they could wait an awful long time if they wanted to. Nobody wants to wait that long. They, they they want to have a schedule out before, you know, February 12th. But, you know, that, that is kind of where they're at as a conference is, is, you know, a slow and deliberate approach, which flies counter to what some other conferences are working on right now.
1: Yeah, there, there really seems to be two different approaches. And this is true when, when we saw basketball and football trying to get scheduled. There really does seem to be two very different approaches to it with with some conferences really wanting to get out in front and and trying to set a plan early so that you can start to really lay down logistics to that plan. And then other conferences really wanting to take it slow and and be measured about it and, and basically put a plan together at the last possible realistic moment so that you have the most information you could possibly have before you make a decision. And honestly, I don't think you or I or really anyone else Can confidently say which way is right to the extent that there is a right or wrong answer in this incredibly difficult, nuanced discussion. Uh, I don't think, so you made an interesting point there, which is basically that the SEC coach is saying, you know, if we want to go conference only, we can do that on February 1st. And I think that's a great point because you say the SEC doesn't have a lot of appetite for conference only schedules. And I would say more broadly, like we do know that the Big Ten is wanting to do conference only. We know that Just by the amount of times that we've heard about, you know, Big Ten teams pulling out of things or, you know, reporting that's been out there about that kind of being the decision being made, even though there really has been kind of a lack of an official statement from the Big Ten on that, we just, the clues are out there for that to to be able to confirm that, at least that being that the plan they're working towards now, but outside of them, there just doesn't seem to be much appetite for conference only schedules, period, and if there was, we would probably know a lot more by now, just because if there, if there were conferences out there who were big on, you know what, we're just going to close ranks. We're going to play conference-only schedules. We're going to try to maximize the number, you know, the Mountain West approach, right? I mean, the Mountain West is allowing for non-conference games, but basically what they did is beefed up conference schedules to say, basically, if these conference games are all you get to play, that's still a pretty decent number of games in the grand scheme of things with 36 of them. So if there was a bad appetite for conference only schedules, I think we'd probably know a lot more by now because there really is not a lot of risk. If that's what you really want to do, there's not a lot of risk in telling us that now. Um, now, if you think that maybe you might have second thoughts about that, that's different. And I think that's why we're, we are where we are right now where I think you're right. I just think it's going to be into the new year and Hey, look at basketball, look how close to opening day of the college basketball season we got before we knew what a lot of these teams were doing. I think it's going to be a little bit, I think we'll have more information because baseball will have the benefit of it being a little bit later in the year. It's an outdoor sport. Uh, Hopefully, fingers crossed, we'll be kind of past uh, this kind of uh, horrific level of infection that we've had the last couple of months that basketball has been trying to navigate. So there's a lot of things working in baseball's favor, but I don't think it's going to be fundamentally different in terms of how soon before the season we know exactly who's going to be playing on February 19th.
0: So one thing about that you know the the basketball portion of this that i think is interesting is that in the last week or so you've gotten some pretty high profile coaches saying some pretty publicly or saying publicly that they either wish they weren't playing non-conference they wish they had the decision back or in the case of duke's mike mike sheshevsky outright saying like okay we did this we tried this but now we're done with this we're not going to play any more non-conference games and you know i i in addition to him i saw south carolina's frank martin say um he wishes they had the decision back he would push against playing non-conference games his program is currently shut down due to covid issues so i don't know how much that's going to play into this they're two different sports Um, You know the the baseball roster size is bigger that insulates them in some ways from some of the problems. It's an outdoor sport. It's a much less of a contact sport than basketball. Um, And you know you you also have the benefit of a few more months. Uh, The vaccines are rolling out already. You know what's that going to look like. So there's a lot going in baseball's favor, but I would say right now that you know what basketball has seen has been Um, not as clean as I think people expected it to be here at the start of the season. So what does that then mean for a sport like baseball, you know, which has, you know, is less of a revenue sport. So would teams, schools, conferences, decision makers, would they be willing to take on the same level of risk that they have for basketball? I don't know the answer to that. Um, The other Interesting thing is that there's really been nothing from the NCAA yet um, in terms of guidance. And nobody's really sure whether any is going to be issued ever, uh, which directly flies in the face of what happened for basketball. So if you're wondering about priorities there. um, And, you know, that's relevant because there are coaches out there that would like to see the season delayed a bit because there are a whole lot of reasons to to think that if you push the season back by even just a couple weeks to get it into march uh that things would be more advantageous at the very least you could clear out of the way of the winter sports that in late february are going to be you know trying to get to the finish line in you know the world of fcs they're going to be playing football or getting ready to play football. I'm not actually sure when their spring seasons are starting. Uh, so wouldn't it be better if baseball weren't in the way, if baseball could could clear the decks and then come in after some of that had been sorted out? And I certainly see the logic to that, but what there's also not an appetite for is just trying to give up weeks of the season and games of the season that if the NCAA is going to do that, you know, which they did for basketball, like if, they, if they're if they just going to take it away, that's one thing. But, you know, if I, I don't know that coaches are eager to just do that on their own right now. And so if that's the case, you know, they, they really need it to come from the top, and they're hoping that it would come with the College World Series being pushed back. I, I want to, you know, just make it clear here there's no plan for that right now. It's not something that's really being formally discussed. Uh, it is something that people have kicked around, but you know, to my knowledge, nobody's taken it to Omaha and or ESPN, you know, two of the most important entities that would have to have a say uh you know in such a plan, you know, given their importance in putting on baseball's postseason. So all of that's to say that conferences are kind of flying blind on the and just being left to their own devices. And as a result, you know, you're seeing a hodgepodge approach. It's not going to be uniform. I, you know, if February 19 remains opening day, I don't know how many teams are going to open. There certainly will be baseball on that day. Um, but I think a lot of teams will not be playing then. We already know the Ivy League won't be playing then. I think a lot more will not be playing then. Um but that it's just. We're still in a wait-and-see period, and I think we're going to be in a wait-and-see period for um, several more weeks, at least.
1: And I think further on down the road, you and I talked about this offline, but further on down the road, I do think when once we get to April and May, I do think there is also a distinct possibility of kind of the mad scramble scheduling that we've seen a little bit in basketball, especially if we have conditions where little bit more of the population is vaccinated, and I'm certainly not don't not privy to any sort of information on the vaccine rollout. But you know, you can see a scenario where we get to that time of the of the season, and a little more of the population, perhaps on college campuses, vaccines are a little easier to get. The general population is a little more vaccinated. Teams start to in conferences start to feel a little more comfortable. Maybe they had some games canceled in February or March. You know maybe there's a scenario where we pick up some of these games on the on the back end so i think there is a little bit of optimism to be had there as well that as the season rolls on maybe it um, gets a little bit a little bit better still in terms of feeling comfortable scheduling some of these games on the fly and i think we've actually the last couple of years i think we've seen a lot of that seen that a little more often in baseball in general where games kind of get added on the fly as teams start to look at their lot in life and in in reference to the NCAA tournament, I think that maybe will still be a factor here, but I think it's just going to be more like we, you know, we, we had five or seven games canceled. We'd really like to find a few more and let's see if we can't find a partner for that. And it's may, may 10th. And we'd like to add a few games. I think it's more going to be expressed that way, but I think that's a distinct possibility as well.
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't think it's going to be so much like let's, let's boost the, the RPI. Because good luck figuring that all out. But uh, yeah, I mean, the coaches want to play a lot of games because they have these big rosters, and uh, you know, so they need the opportunity to use their players. Um, you know that 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 is part of part of the, the the factors here is that you know everyone is keenly aware that baseball and every other spring sports athlete already lost effectively one season to the pandemic. They want to give them something close to normal this time around so that it's not two years of that, uh, which I think is a, I don't want to go so far as to say noble, but like, you know, it's a, it's a very nice sentiment and hopefully they're able to pull it off. Um, you know, because there, there are a lot of players back in college baseball. There are a lot of players in college baseball, uh, you know, for the first time that that had their high school seasons, junior college seasons messed up. So you know anything approaching normal would be great uh but you know as as with everything there this year there's a lot more to it than just the baseball aspect of it all right so we um we're going to continue tracking this uh as the scheduled opening day uh draws ever nearer. um and again you can read my full story about going inside the process of the SEC, um, you're trying to put together a schedule at BaseballAmerica.com. We'll, be, uh, we'll have our interview with Air Force coach Mike, Mike Kaz uh, coming up here in a second, but first, check this out. Today on the Baseball America College podcast, we're excited to have Co- Air Force coach Mike Kozlowski, Coach Kaz, as everyone else calls him. Uh, and, and we will the rest of the way here, Coach. We're excited to have you uh, talk some baseball here on uh, on a December day.
2: I appreciate it, Teddy and Joe. Thank you guys for having me on. It's uh, I'm excited to be talking some baseball, especially when we're in the winter months and all our kids are at home, basically, for all across the country. And hopefully, we're gonna have a spring season.
0: Absolutely. Well, you know, it's been obviously a very strange year for everyone in college baseball, um, but you know, you guys were, were able to get back out on the field pretty early this fall. I, I say fall, but really it was still in the summer when you guys started. Um, you know, take us back to that, you know, after, you know, the, the season's canceled and, you know, there'd been a lot of uncertainty, just what was it like to be able to, uh, to get back out there on the field with the team as, as one again?
2: Well, for any of the academies, we start really early. We actually started basic training back at the end of June. Uh, so our kids, uh, Got here in June, our new freshmen, they went through a six and a half week course of basic cadet training. And normally we have a little bit of an opportunity to go up, an opportunity to see them and talk to them and visit with them. And they get some opportunities. We used to go out on the baseball field a little bit for some intramural play. And that was actually cut pretty short because of the COVID and making sure that we were socially distancing, distancing out this way and wearing masks. But all of our kids got back here at the beginning of August and we started up all practice um, actually so our um, uh, our non-championship segment portion. Uh, we started in, in August with our eight hours and then we had our full fall season. So we actually had zero interruptions in regards to COVID. So from our perspective out this way, we had a great fall. The weather was outstanding. Uh, we And for our kids at least to get back on the field, because even our freshmen, a lot of these kids didn't have the opportunity to play summer ball. Uh, of course, with uh their seasons being canceled in the majority of the high schools around the country. And then along with some college or somewhat, some of their summer club ball didn't get to play. And then when these kids showed up in June, it was great to have an opportunity to start in early August to get these kids back in, back in the yard, uh, back on the field to to do what they
0: truly love. So the the season, you know, the, the past, you played about 15 games, you know, we didn't get to see a whole lot of uh, of the Falcons. What what can you tell us about what you learned about the team from from the spring and, and from the fall? Now, as as you look to your twenty twenty one team,
2: well, for a majority of the schools last year, they're having the opportunity to bring their boys back uh, for a fifth year or sixth year, whatever it's going to be, um, for them to continue to play baseball. When you're at any of the academies, they have a four year window where they have the opportunity to play, and uh, our seniors. Last year that only got to play a handful of games, uh, they graduated. They walked across the stage this past year and threw their hats in the air as the Thunderbirds ripped over overhead, and now they're lieutenants serving in the Air Force. So we do not have the opportunity to bring our seniors back for a fifth year, uh, which to me is fine. You know, this is a different opportunity and a different school that our number one goal and job here is to produce military officers that are going to go serve and protect our country and it's kind of cool to think that our kids are already now in pilot training, flying million-dollar jets, getting ready to serve, fight, and protect, and provide that security blanket to I was to sleep well each night. Um, our current folks that we have in, in the program, we're excited about our pitching staff coming back. Uh, we didn't lose too many for, from graduation last year. Uh, we lost a, one phenomenal player named Ashton Easley was picked up with the Marlins. Um, but other than that, uh, we're looking forward to this upcoming season because I think uh, we're going to be better than what we were last year and uh it's exciting time it, i don't want to say exciting time it's kind of a nervous time because once again with the covid and the, and the spike that we are seeing currently i don't know what's going to happen this upcoming spring i mean we are scheduled to play up a, starting at lsu first weekend so we'll be put to the test right away heading out to lsu
1: You mentioned Ashton Easley and I was going to bring him up because I think he was, he was one of the more dynamic players in in college baseball that not a lot of folks knew about last year. So it was disappointing to not get to see him play out that 2020 season. And so now, you know, you've got that hole in your lineup. Um, Is there anybody that stands out or a group of players stand out that you think can bring that level of of dynamism and not necessarily be Ashton Easley right away, but just bring some of that, some of that multifaceted threat that he brought to the diamond uh, for you guys last year? Well, I
2: think our, our, primary that we're going to be you know, better at is going to be on the bump. And we're bringing back our face. Our whole pitching staff is coming back. So it's nice to have a, a Stephen Fairburn, a junior. He's a biochem major, wants to be an orthopedic surgeon when he graduates. Uh, we have Zach Argo, who's a junior that's coming off Tommy John surgery. Uh, we have probably about uh, seven or eight pitchers that we're really going to rely on heavily that all return and that have seen a majority of our innings. Uh, so we're definitely excited about our pitching staff. Um, From a position player perspective, uh, of course, uh, losing Ashton Easley is a tough kid to replace, but in center field, we're going to put a young man named uh, Caden Zimmerman out there in center field, and uh, other than that, everyone else returns. So, uh, you know, Ashton, hard to replace a kid that's throwing 95 as a closer for a center fielder uh, that ran a six fives, can steal significant amount of bases, have had the hose in the outfield and hit with power he definitely was a five tool player that the marlins uh definitely get, got a great deal on and we're excited hopefully to see ashton be able to continue and play with the marlins if they get going again
0: yeah we um you mentioned ashton here we've seen nick Reddy come through we've seen griffin jacks come through recruiting developing players at a service academy is different than it is at, at other institutions but what is it that, that you guys have hit on recently that you've been able to um, you know to, to produce some players like that while you're also serving this other purpose the main purpose of you know developing officers for the Air Force
2: Well Joe our recruiting is very similar to every other school. Um, the only thing that's a little bit different out here is the first thing I always ask is what are, how are your grades? Because um, if a kid doesn't have over a 3.7 GPA, there's no no reason even to bother to look. Um, our average ACT is a 31, our average SAT is a 1400. So we're looking for the cream of the crop, young young men to come to this institution and represent our baseball program. So a lot of people always you know, there's might be this this fear that they think, well, I don't wanna to go to a military academy. I don't know what it's gonna be like, of course. And But at the end of the day, every young man and woman that attends any of our academies on a half million dollar full ride scholarship. And it truly is the greatest opportunity of a lifetime. So for all those kids that are out there, I mean, do not overlook an academy. And I'm talking even from the Coast Guard, the merchant, Marine, Navy, Army, and us. I mean, what we do and what we produce is a whole hell of a lot bigger than just a, a, a baseball player. And when you talk about um, the development it's not only as a development as a baseball player, we're developing men, you know, we're developing women that are here because at this institution, not only are you getting a world-class Ivy League education and playing division one sport, but you're also, you're jumping out of airplanes, you're flying gliders, you're strapping your butt in an F-15, F-16 fighter jet, put on a flight suit, grab a suit, parachute, helmet, mask and visor belt, 400 to Mach 1, you're doing survival training in the mountains, you're punching people in the face in boxing class, you're doing learning armbar, chokehold choke hold submissions, you learn how to kill people. Um, So everything that we do here is is for development, to produce a leader of character and a future military officer that, once again, is going to go serve and protect our country to the greatest that they can. So um, when they're here, it's so much bigger than just baseball. And there's plenty of time. Everyone has this perception that the kids that attend the academy are running around with a rifle over their head saying, I want to fly jets. or they're doing push-ups all day and, you know, they have an opportunity to practice from three 45 to 412 you know that's not the case i mean we're done at noon every day and our kids were out in the field practicing and following the ncaa rules because at the end of the day we want to go to college world series just like every other division one program out there we want to showcase who we are uh and it is kind of nice because of the fact that every kid here is on an academic scholarship and once again it's valued at a half million dollars and what you get to learn about yourself uh, you can't learn at any other school and it's not a knock to any normal college out there, but we're looking for true difference makers. Um, it's not just from 18 to 22 years old on the friendly field of strife called the baseball field. It's more importantly what they're going to go do on and after their time of of playing baseball. Because playing baseball is awesome. You know, a kid's love it. You learn to deal with adversity, stress, pressure, teamwork, cohesive unit, winning, losing, the ups and downs of it. And that's what's going to make them a better military officer. It's going to go lead our country and go fly F-15s, F-16s, F-22s, f 35 C-17s, whether they're a doctor, lawyer, engineer, any type of support work. But it's really about wearing our nation's uniform, but once again, to serve and fight and protect. And 99.5% of Americans don't do what these kids do. And we're looking for that special half percent that raises their right hand and says, let's states, I'm willing to die for our country. And with all the different opportunities that they get to learn, whether it's on the, once again, the friendly fields of strife, whether it's academically, whether it's the military side, um, it's just going to benefit them later down the road when they're 25, 35, 55 years old and understanding why they came to the United States Air Force Academy or any of the academies. So um, I think it's easy to recruit. That's a big question that people always ask is about recruiting out of the academies. Oh, it must be so hard to recruit. I'm like, hell, this is about as the easiest school in the world to recruit to because everybody in the right mind should want to come here. If I'm a parent, I want my kids to go to this school. And lo and behold, you look at it. My daughter's a junior at the Air Force Academy. My son's a senior in high school, and he's done really well in his standardized tests, and he's a good kid, and he's going to end up coming here next year. You know, Will he have an opportunity to play baseball? He'll have an opportunity, but he's going to make the team. So uh, it's a fight from the day you set foot on this campus. Everything that you do here, you will be challenged. Uh, we do kind of focus on a little bit that you will fail here because once again, we, we take the cream of the crop, the best of the best elite kids throughout our country and they attend this institution and now you're no longer the big fish in the little pond of high school and you come here, you're the little fish and now you got to fight your way through and you're going to learn to fail a little bit and then we're going to pick you back up and we're going to get your ass off the mat and say, get back up and get back in the damn fight. So our kids learn a lot about resiliency. They learn a lot about grit um, because that last game that they played between the white lines, that next game they play is no longer called a game. It's called war. And we're really preparing these kids to be war fighters for our country. So we have some signs in our dugout that might not be politically correct, but you know what? If you don't like it, then don't come to our school. And once again, you can go be a damn sheep because at this school, we want sheep dogs. We want the hammer, not the nail. We're looking for carnivores, not herbivores. So we want the type A personality. Kids are going to bring the fight to the enemy. And this is, once again, just a proving ground when you get the play
1: baseball out this way. You have a a, a long history uh, at the academy, and and part of that was being uh, playing there yourself, and you played for Paul Maneri, who was the coach at Air Force at the time. Uh, What are your uh, greatest memories of playing for Coach Maneri during your days? Every day, I I did not do well academically
2: here or in the military realm, and every day that I got to come down to the baseball field, this was my outlet. And Paul Maneri, he was my dad while I was here, Uh, if if Paul Maneri served in the air force or served in the armed forces whatsoever, he would have been a general because he knew how to motivate and he knew how to inspire and everywhere he has gone, he has been successful because of the traits that he has. And, you know, not only is he an unbelievable baseball coach, but he is a tremendous, and he has been the best life coach I could ever have fathomed to have. And I'm so appreciative of the time that I got to spend under coach Maneri. I just got the phone with him yesterday um, just to be able to talk and uh, He's my mentor. He's my uh, role model that I always have aspired to to, to be like. And uh, once again, I can't thank Paul Maneri enough because where I am today, is because of him. Because if he wasn't at the academy at the time when I was going through, I don't know if I would have graduated from our school. I don't know if I would have been able to fight for our country. So my hat goes off to Paul. Um, You know, he will always... Up there at the top of my list whenever it comes to talking about uh, not coaching but for life coaching because, once again, uh, you know, my dad and, and pulmonary is my pseudo dad, so I, I get it. I'm excited to be able to open up the season out there at LSU with Paul. Um, I'm excited to be able to go back out there in 23. We're trying to set up a fall trip for 22 to go out there because anytime that I have the opportunity to be around pulmonary and learn from him, and, and more importantly. Our cadets to be able to go and be under the tutelage of Coach Maneri, whether it's just a half hour talk to him or he pulls our kids aside and talks about their future and what they're going to do and how thankful he is. And Paul will give anything back to our military. And that's why I'm so appreciative of playing schools such as LSU that really understand what these kids go through and what they do. So, you know, you did relate back to earlier in your last question in regards to Griffin Jackson. Uh, You know, we have Griffin Jackson, Nick Reddy. We also have Jake Gilbert out there throwing 96, 97 for the Reds organization. So what's kind of cool is the military academies, the kids do have the ability to go play professional sports and they have the opportunity to go fly jets and they have the opportunity to go be a doctor, lawyer, engineer, once again, whatever facet they're going to be. So there's no limits and we put no boundaries on these young men and women that attend the school that if they have the ability to go continue to play pro. And once that's said and done, hell, we just, we welcome them back into our armed service and said, okay, let's get back in the fight now. Um, so there is no downside to this goal other than the fact that it is really, really hard. And at the end of the day, when four years are done and you get to walk your butt across that stage and shake president crazy night and you can once again, throw your hat in the air, that's the greatest day of your life. And I, I can attest to the fact that than my two kids being born, my wife not being here, and she probably won't listen to the podcast, you know, Graduating from school uh, is probably number three on my list. My two kids being born were number one and number two. But graduating from this institution and how hard it is, you know, that sets the precedence in, re- in regards to the rest of your life and how you want to work. So you're going to work your butt off for four years here. But after that, you're going to reap the benefits of uh, being able to put forth that type of effort. So how's that? You guys are getting
0: me fired up over here. I, I love it. I love it. You, you mentioned the you know, just being able or the opportunity for, for, you know, the kids to, to go fly jets. And that's part of what they're, they're doing there. And one of my favorite things on Twitter is, you know, usually around this time of year, you're posting videos of your players going on their training flights and you just seem so excited to be watching them do that and get out there. And, you know, what's that like watching them, you know, have that opportunity and, and, and go through their training and, you know, such a, you know, exciting part of, of, of being there, I assume, is is getting to fly, um, you know, and, and them getting to do that on, on that stage. Well, our
2: kids have been here since uh, 24th of June. We did not have a parents weekend. They have not been authorized to go home. They did not have a Thanksgiving. Uh, they just left uh, this week. They just finished up finals, and now they're heading home. So it's been a hard year for our freshmen especially. Um, so if I can do anything to showcase to them what the real Air Force is going to be like, you know, I have a lot of friends and connections across the Air Force that uh, it's just reaching out, trying to get, do a lot of legwork for it. But you know, I have 26 young men. Hopefully they're going to have an opportunity to get a jet ride while they're home over winter break. I don't think it's going to come to fruition for all those kids because with COVID, it has uh, unfortunately has dinged some of them from being able to fly not for them personally having COVID, but uh, the different uh, areas across the country that are basically shutting down. So, uh, you know, hopefully we're going to get a few of our boys up in the air, but it gives them an understanding of what we're doing and why they're truly here. Yes, they're going through calculus and chemistries and physics and aeronautical and astronautical and civil and electrical engineering. They're taking classes they've never heard of and it's hard enough to spell. And while they're here and they're going, they're in the grinder. Every day, man, they got to wake up, look themselves in the mirror, say, let's freaking go and bring that A game. So if I can give them an opportunity while they're home, they can once again put on that flight suit, grab suit, parachute, helmet, mask, and visor and strap in a jet while they're 18, 19 years old and go, holy crap, this is freaking awesome. That's the greatest Christmas present I can ever give to myself. Because when I get that call after they're done and maybe they've uh, got their two bags full of throw up in their bags, but they're saying, coach, that was the freaking greatest thing I've ever done in my life. And now I understand why I'm here, because that's what I want to do. And it's so much bigger than just kids that go to other institutions and universities where they want to play ball. You know, here it's not about just playing baseball. We are growing, developing, watching that maturation take place for these kids once again to go, you know, bring the fight to our enemy. So that's uh, if we can raise that game early on while they're here to get the understanding why, then strapping their ass in a damn jet is pretty damn easy to do. So it gets me pretty fired up. I've had the opportunity to do that. I got to fly $250 million airplanes. I've been around the world, I've been in war, been in combat, been shot at. Uh, you know, I've also brought our boys home in caskets with the flag over program. So it gives me a different perspective uh, from a normal coach out there that this isn't just about coaching between the white lines. I and mean, this is about our future. This is about our future for our country. And if I'm not doing my job right, I'm not only affecting 35 young men on the baseball team, I got 4,000 cadets here that, you know, if I'm not being once again, a, a life coach for them, it affects our country. And I take that very seriously that every cadet that has raised their right hand, that's willing to put their life in the line for me and for you and for our country, they deserve the best from each and every one of us. So I'm very thankful. And I don't know if you guys have ever seen the movie Miracle, Miracle on Ice and, you know, a 1980 hockey movie, or you have a, you know, Coach asks his team, who do you play for? And I play for you, Coach, Minnesota. I play for North Dakota. I play for Boston. And finally, Mike he gets it, and he says, Coach, I play for the United States of America. And out here, the kids that represent any of our academies, they're playing for the United States of America. And we shouldn't just have Air Force across our chest. It should say USA. And that's why I kind of alluded to the fact all the time that we are American's team because these kids aren't here to become a professional baseball player. Yes, that is an opportunity here, but once again, my job here is to make them a damn warfighter that at the end of the day, they're ready to go serve, fight, and protect. So it's a whole heck of a lot different, man. A whole heck of a lot bigger game out here. I'm worried about their academics. I'm worried about their military performance. I'm worried about their baseball performance. But more most, more, most importantly, I'm worried about their character. If they don't have the character to be in our military, then I don't want them at our school. And that usually does not happen because they're going to conform to our surroundings here yes it is difficult we have organization there is structure there there is definitely discipline and the kids buy into it because the kids that attend this institution that once again are are, are the, the elite you know they they don't live their lives in chaos they're not sitting on a damn couch playing Fortnite or call of duty till three in the morning these are kids that step up get off the damn couch and they're moving forward so uh, it is a tremendous honor and privilege to be at the academy to be able to to coach these young men and to be around the young men and women that attend this institution. Because, uh, I know, uh, without once again, Paul Maneri being here, I don't think I ever would have graduated. I would have never been able to serve our country for 20 years. And now if I can give back in any little way possible, I'm all in for that.
1: Our editor, JJ Cooper is a, uh, an aviation geek. And so this question is kind of for him, but when you were in active duty, you flew C-17s, which is a massive plane. And so, Kind of curious what it's like if you could put into words the experience of, of taking something that big into the air
2: well it's a it's a it's a team and people ask all the time to serving 20 years because when you attend in a military school you have a commitment afterwards and uh, some of the academies a four year, some of the five-year commitment afterwards and if you're going to fly jets it's an approximately 11 year commitment and people go oh my gosh you're going to be in the military for five years Do really? you understand that that's a guaranteed job that with my daughter being a junior at the United States Air Force Academy, next year when she graduates and she walks her butt across that stage, the great piece about it is being a dad is that she's not gonna live in my house. She's got a guaranteed job. We're gonna send her somewhere in this world to go represent our country by wearing her nation's uniform. Uh, and flying airplanes and being, once again, all over the world and being in combat, it was just like playing a baseball game and you had your team. And it was all about the team and and fighting for mission success. And our mission is real simple here in the Air Force. It's fly, fight, and win. Because we do not want China to be number one. We do not want North Korea with Russia to be number one. America will be number one. And that's our job here is to make sure, once again, that we are doing our best of our ability at the Academy to ensure that that happens. So whether you're on night vision goggles, whether you're getting shot at, whether you're coming in, doing a spiral approach, coming into Bagram or flying into Baghdad, lights out. Um, There's some very hairy times, but you take your training that you learned once again on the friendly fields of strife called the baseball field and understanding that feeling. We had a young man graduate from here in 1998 um, named Dave Lyons. He was an F-16 pilot and he was the first guy back in the desert storm too. And he was uh, dripping wet, hot, an F-16 sitting at the edge of the runway waiting for the go call, got the go call. He's the first guy in. He said, when he got that go call, is that same feeling that he got every time he got on the bump. He got to pitch the baseball. You know, He felt that adrenaline rush and said, I've been here before. Let's go. I have another young man named Bobby Harms graduated in 05. He a left-hand pitcher for us, and he was flying an f 15s He was 24 years old. And he was uh, sitting alert, and he got the go call. And it was him and his, um, uh, him and number two, they got the goal call. Five minutes later, they're strapped in the jet. They had a enemy, we had troops in contact. We had a bunch of Marines at a forward operating base that were, uh, they had they were in contact with the Taliban. The Taliban were already inside the wire. And they had a JTAC on the ground saying, where I'm shooting now is where you guys need to strike. As a 24-year-old man leading a two-ship of F-15E strike eagles, he's come in. He's doing his strafing runs and strafing runs and strafing runs. And he won't talk about you know that day at all, other than the fact that we lost eight Marines. And if he would have got there a little bit earlier, maybe he, we could have saved a few of our boys. And that's what we're doing here. Joe, Teddy, man, this is so much different. And what we're and why? And to be able to wear our nation's uniform and have that American flag on your left shoulder with that national anthem being played, it has purpose and it has a true meaning. And it gets me a little excited, a little fired up and, um, you know, a little sorrow because, you know, I I lost a young man last year named Travis Wilkie in a training accident at Vance Air Force Base in Enid, Oklahoma, a little over a year ago. He was a starting catcher for us and he's no longer with us. You know, he slipped in the surly bonds. And uh, unfortunately for Travis, it wasn't his day. And, And it sucks to say that, but you recruit a young man out of high school and he comes to this institution and, Four years later, then he's flying jets. And, uh, you know, this is a dangerous profession that we're in. And that's what people have to understand out here. These people have committed their lives for our country. And they're willing to dedicate their lives. And I don't want to be a Gold Star family. But if it comes to it with my daughter, or if my son comes to school here, you know, I know the expectations. And I know what we're willing to bring, what we're willing to provide. Because once again, to keep our nation number one, we need people to step up. And that's what makes it so exciting. But it's not for everybody, and that's okay. And once again, it's about the half percenters out there that say, I want to be different. And I want to lead from the front and not be in the rear. I would give anything to get back in a C-17. I'd give anything to strap it in again. I'd give anything to do one more mission, if I could. And when I first got the job, I was actually serving as an air officer commanding in charge of 115 cadets. And they told me, you got the job as a head baseball coach. And I'll be honest, it wasn't, I wasn't jumping for joy. Like, yes, this is exactly what I've always wanted to do because I had the opportunity to go back and fly and move missions and do something that's real world. And that was a big decision to take that away and say, okay, I do have maybe a higher calling and maybe it is coaching because once again, it's not about being a damn baseball coach here. It's about being a life coach because now I have the opportunity to influence not only a single mission, but all these young men and women at our schools to be able to go through this institution that are, are hopefully going to be, um, you know, great officers for us that once again are going to lead our country and, and for success. So that's so we'll, all. Yeah.
1: <laughs> we'll uh, we'll start to, to to wrap up here. I mean, we've talked about a lot of, important stuff and it's not just baseball we've talked about you know service and then the greater mission there but we'll we'll start to wrap with something a little bit lighter it's a question that we ask all of our guests here on the podcast and, and i'll filibuster a little bit after i ask it here to give you a second to uh wrap your mind around it a little bit But we ask all of our guests to describe their favorite sandwich and so some people Use that to describe how they make their favorite sandwich. They talk about, you know, the kind of meat and the cheese they'd put on it, the condiments they'd put on it. Other people take it a, a different direction and say, "There's this local place that I go to, and I always get this sandwich, and that's my favorite." And that's totally fine too. So uh, you can take it any direction you want. Uh, but please, Mike Kaslowski describe your favorite sandwich for us.
2: All right. Well, it's not going to be a sandwich because um, I've never want to be like everybody else. I want to be a little bit different for this question that you're going to ask. So fair enough. I will take a Nathan's hot dog and I will boil a Nathan's hot dog. Probably like six of them. And my wife gets a little pissed off at it. (laughs) And then you take a nice fresh bun and you take it right out of the water. After you boil it, you put it in the bun, you put tin foil over it, just like you're at the ballpark and you let it just resonate. And let that steam. So that the bun just soaks the hot dog soaks into the bun a little bit. And you take it out and you just put a nice line of yellow mustard on it. And I hell, I should be on the you know the hot dog eating contest because I feel <laughs> like it, I could be right up there. And because uh, hell, I can knock out a dozen real quick. But my wife would beat the hell out of me if I would do that. But uh, you know, you give me about six of those bad boys, I can muck that on down pretty quick. And I don't think there's anything better than a, a good old fashioned hot dog. Totally
1: agree. Yeah, if it weren't for the sodium, that wouldn't be. Wouldn't be so bad. A lot of sodium in that. But uh, but yeah, I mean, nothing better. There's a reason why it's a popular ballpark food. You know, it just goes together. It's it's nice.
2: Well, yeah, guys, I don't even know if i would covered what you guys wanted to cover, but all in all, you know, from the academy perspective, I love what I get to do. You know, the kids that that take advantage of this type of opportunity are going to be successful for the rest of their lives and. It's kind of cool that uh, we get to offer half a million dollar Fulbright scholarships for these young men and women that are out here to be badasses for the rest of their lives. And it's kind of cool when you say, Where'd you graduate college from? I graduated from the United States Air Force Academy. And right then and there, people already know that you're gonna be a little bit different. You know you're gonna have mission fulfillment, you're gonna have job success, and you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna be the guy. And that's kind of cool. That's what we're looking for out here. We want, I want kids that want more out of their life. You know, I want kids that want to be challenged, uh, kids that will never say, never say die. And we put no limits or no boundaries on our kids while they're here. I mean, you know, I'll let them go snow skiing and snowboarding. Hell, we live in Colorado. I want them to learn how to fly fish. I get kids on my team that are want to be astronauts. I got rocket scientists. You know, I have biochem major kids that want to be orthopedic surgeons and no limits, no boundaries. Because at the end of the day, th- these kids are not going to be defined by baseball. They're going to define, be defined as officers. And that's what makes it special
0: here. Absolutely. I mean, we like like Joe said, we covered a lot of ground. Uh, we covered some great ground. And you know, it's uh you know, it's a unique experience that you you have there. And so to to be able to get your insight on on how you how you go about it and, and your personal experience, I think is uh is fantastic. So we really appreciate you you taking the time to share that with us today here on the podcast and and uh you know share it with our listeners as well.
2: Uh, I appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Teddy and Joe. You guys have a great holiday season. Wish you a Merry Christmas.
0: Absolutely. And hopefully we get to see the Falcons out on the, the diamond this spring. Thank you again to coach Kaz for joining us here on the baseball America college podcast, Joe, uh, always happy to talk with, uh, with the coaches of the service academies. It's kind of a different deal in so many ways than, than the rest of the division one coaches, because you know, they have this, you know, dual responsibility. And really the bigger responsibility is, you know, helping to develop officers in, in their um, specific military branch, but they're still out there trying to win games and develop players and, and succeed on the baseball field. And, you know, it clearly Kaz really cares about air force Academy, having spent so much time there as kids, you know, being lined up to go there, and you know his daughter being there now, and uh, you know him being the coach there, and but but he also you know really just wants wants to win. It's uh, you know it, it it's easy to hear the passion really in in all part all facets of of, uh, of his job there.
1: Yeah, no doubt. I mean, he's in a unique position. This is you know not taking anything away from from guys like Jim Foster and Paul Costacopoulos, but you know he lives and breathes the Air Force Academy. In a way that the other the coaches of the other academies um just just can't because they, they're not a part of it in the same way that that he is where he 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 went there and graduated from the air force academy and then served and and to his point was you know had a job uh in the air force before he took over the, the head baseball coach job and and was kind of on the fence about you know it being really what he wanted because he enjoyed what he was doing in the in the air force more broadly at that point in his career so um, it just such a unique story and such a cool story to have someone who's so ingrained in the Air Force Academy there as, as the baseball coach, because he can really, you know, empathize and understand his players uh, on such a higher level than, than, than really any coach who, who came from a fully civilian background could. So that is um, kind of neat there. It's also just worth mentioning that, you know, he's doing a pretty good job there. I mean, we didn't talk a ton about just kind of the the, the process that he's undergone at air force and, and coaching that team, but they've, they've gotten quite a bit better. I mean, this program was before he got there was, was just really not, not good, really, really struggling. Most years were, you know, well under 500 in conference play. We're talking years of like four and 20, 3 and 18, seven and 23. And he's really kind of gotten that turned around to where now granted in a pretty good Mountain West conference, they're still typically finishing under 500 in conference, but they're they're a heck of a lot more competitive. We talked about the high level of talent that he's brought there. Uh, you know, Nick Reddy, uh, Ashton Easley, more recently Griffin Jacks on the mound. We talked about those guys in the interview. Uh, so there are examples of individual talents there that that was just the type of player that Air Force was not getting at, at in the recent uh, history before Kaz got there. And you can see it in the numbers too, even though they're still finishing under 500 in conference play. I mean, this was a team that had seasons where their run differential was minus 300 something. They had a season of minus 400 something in the run differential. And, you know, now they're, they're up to a little more, you know, normal where they're, they're a little bit above water in terms of run differential or slightly below water in run differential. So in terms of competitiveness, I mean, cause you can look at these losing records and kind of think they're all the same, but You know, it may just be a few more wins, but if you're looking at in the grand scheme of things, they're a lot more competitive than they were, say, uh, 10, 12, 15 years ago. So he deserves a lot of credit for that. And he does a good job of, I think it's understandable why he's able to get a certain level of player there, because he really does, some of this is his history with the Air Force Academy, but he's really able to sell that program in a really unique way. And his passion comes through in a big way. And, you know, he talks about it being, on its face, a tough place to recruit to, but he thinks about it as being an easy place to recruit to because here's what they're all about. And if it's not for you, okay, but for the people who it is for, it's an easy sell. And um, that made a lot of sense to me. You're you're picking from a smaller pool of players, but in that smaller pool of players, those guys are going to be a little bit more jazzed about coming to play baseball at Air Force.
0: So if you, want to go back into the archives we talked with um jim foster and costy uh this time you know costy this time of year a year ago and jim foster about two years ago now um and i think that what you're talking about there the and, and what, what kaz is talking about the the recruiting aspect of it i think they both both of those guys said similar things as well that yeah, okay, I I understand why from the outside you think this is hard to recruit to, but actually we have this incredible education that we can sell that is free. And there are a lot of people that, you know, do want to serve their country who happen to be very good at playing baseball. Finding those players is, you know, the, the, the key here, uh, because yeah, in the sea of potential recruits, you know, it's not going to be for everyone. Um, but I, I think all three of these guys think of it in a similar way. And, And that's, you know, it's not surprising that, that, you know, they would kind of view it through that lens. Um, and I'm sure when they do get people that are engaged with the idea of going to a service academy, it's not that hard to sell as long as they've got the grades. Like you said, you know, if you don't have a three six, um, it's not worth continuing the discussion because we're just not going to go anywhere. Um, you know, in, in that in that way, it's like Stanford, you know, and uh, or, or or a Northwestern or name, you know, an Ivy League school, whoever. Um, so there, there's a lot that has to be right, but if it is right, I'm sure, uh, you know, the fit just. You know, is is there for all of these players? And and to your point, yeah, he's done uh, a very good job of of building something there. And you know, we talked about these guys going on to play pro ball, and um, you know, they've uh, they've been very successful at that over the last couple years. It's not easy being in Colorado and playing college baseball. You know, there's a reason why the University of Colorado or Colorado University, excuse me, um, why they don't have a baseball team, and. You know, so th- they're a little bit out on an island there in the mountain west uh, but they uh you know they've they've found a way to to really make it work and you know some of that is you know because of the brand of the Air Force academy and what they're able to do but you know it, it is uh definitely a credit to them that they're you know developing these players at the same time that the players are also you know figuring out um, you know, navigating just a, a very difficult academic and you know physical physically rigorous uh, curriculum that that they have there at the academy.
1: It is one of my uh, one of my biggest gripes with college baseball is that I just wish there were more Division One teams in the state of Colorado. Just an incredibly pretty place, Colorado. Places like Colorado and Utah, like I just wish there was more college baseball there because it. If you look at pictures of. The backdrops at places like BYU or at the Air Force Academy or even Nevada—like those—are just incredible backdrops, and they're really unique, and there just aren't very many of them in college baseball. Um, so Air Force does also have that dollar, just kind of a Colorado Springs being a, a relatively pretty place to be, and also Air Force has, for my money. Now I'm not—I'm not an architecture nerd by any stretch of the imagination. Um, it is not my forte. I am also not going to pretend to be any sort of you know, Rolodex of all the great architecture in our country. But the Air Force Academy Cadet Chapel is one of the most interesting shaped buildings I've ever seen in my life. And I find it fascinating. And I, I, you may not think you know what I'm talking about, but if you Google this after you listen to this, if you're driving, please do not Google this. Wait till you get home. But if you Google the Air Force Chapel, you'll know the building. I'm almost certain you'll know the building I'm talking about because you've ever watched a commercial for the Air Force Academy, which you'll see occasionally, or during an Air Force football game, they show this thing. And it is just a really interesting looking building. So, I mean, I guess that's my my little extra two cents or my little kicker on the Air Force Academy is that uh, really neat cadet chapel they have there. It's really uh, pointy. It's like a series of triangles sitting out there that, that make up this building.
0: So before we move on, um, you know, he mentioned that his favorite sandwich was a hot dog with mustard on it. And Joe, I don't really mean to get into the is a hot dog a sandwich debate. I think he answered it for us when he uh, when he put the hot dog in as his favorite sandwich. Uh, but I wanna know what you feel about hot dog toppings.
1: So I, first of all, I'm really irritated that there's this denigration of ketchup as a hot dog topic. Like, come on, like get over yourself. Like let people put what they want on hot dogs. And don't get me wrong. The mustard is the more important piece to me i'm not arguing that point but there just seems to be people this this movement over the last several years of people looking their looking down their nose at people who like ketchup on hot dogs let people put ketchup on their hot dogs is it just syrupy tomato paste like sugary syrupy tomato paste absolutely but it's tasty who cares let people do that people people also like to put all kinds of weird stuff on their hot dogs you don't see me complaining about it so i say all that to say i'm a pretty simple hot dog guy but i do like mustard and ketchup. And I will play around with mustard a little bit, like just straight, if I'm at the ballpark, not that you have much choice usually when you're at the ballpark, but just straight up, you know, yellow mustard is great. But I I will play around with, with different mustards from time to time, something a little spicier, something a little tangier, maybe something a little, you know, ground mustard, something a little chunkier, if you will. So I'll play around there a little bit, but pretty simple. I'm just kind of a, a ketchup mustard guy. Although, you know, if, if somebody puts relish on my hot dog, I'm certainly not going to fight it.
0: Yeah, I um I, I think my biggest complaint with his mustard situation is that he's going for the the plain yellow mustard. Um I'm a big I this is just being a Clevelander, like brown ballpark mustard is like if they renamed the team the Cleveland Ballpark Mustards, I think a lot of Clevelanders would be like perfect. They got it right. <laughs> um so that's that's where I'm coming from. So like I definitely want the brown ballpark mustard. Uh And like, I like onions if, uh, if possible, a lot of places, you know, if you're, if you're at a, you know, at at a big league stadium, like they'll definitely have that for you. If you're at, you know, some random place, they, they might not have the onions. So I like the onions if possible. Um, like you, you know, if relish is there, maybe I'll put the relish on, maybe I won't. Uh, and I have no problem with ketchup. I love ketchup. Um, I'm not even like I, I'm not going to say it doesn't belong on a hot dog I don't think it goes particularly well with the brown mustard so once the brown mustard is on there I don't want to put the ketchup on but I guess if if I was given the option between just like straight up a yellow mustard and ketchup um, you know we're probably incorporating ketchup in some way whether we're forgetting about the mustard at that point or or mixing the two um, but again I, I would I would definitely want, want to go brown mustard and onions if, if possible.
1: Yeah, totally fine. Like you have to play off the condiments. So if you, if you're, if your number one condiment, it's brown mustard and then the ketchup doesn't work, that's fine. But like the idea that you're uncultured, if you want ketchup right, on your right. hot dogs, is just, that's, uh, that's always been a little bit offensive to me because just now let people put what they want on their food. That's all. Yeah. I
0: don't understand the people that are just saying ketchup is for fries only like ketchup is, is great. Like it's tomato based. It's sweet. Like what, yeah. what, what are we, what is the objection to this condiment? I don't know. It's great yeah. stuff yeah there's a reason it's so popular i would uh i would absolutely agree with that all right so we have one more story we're probably going a little long on this podcast but you know hey it's the middle of december and you're listening to a college baseball podcast so clearly you're committed so uh joe why don't you tell the people about some of the uh some of the movement that is coming in uh in college sports i don't even know when this is happening uh but we, we have some realignment that that's on the way
1: yeah, because you know, with um, everything else that's that's gone on in, in college baseball, college sports more generally, the uh, the one thing that was really missing from this little particular cocktail of uh, news items is a little bit of realignment. So uh, we've we've thrown a little bit of that into the mix now, with some realignment between the Southland and the WAC. And so, so basically, what we have here is a quartet of teams. Moving to the WAC, and this has not been officially announced as far as I know, but it's been uh, reported, you know, I think think the initial report I saw was actually from from Matt Brown, who does the Extra Points newsletter, who's really well-versed in all of the the business side of, of college athletics. And he was more reporting on it from the standpoint of these teams, the WAC wanting to get back into FCS football. And so it's looking to find some teams that can poach to be a part of that. And that's one of the reasons why Southern Utah is a part of this movement. Apparently, obviously Southern Utah no longer plays baseball. So that doesn't matter for our purposes. So what does matter for our purposes is that they are poaching Sam Houston State, Lamar, Abilene Christian, and Stephen F. Austin from the Southland to become members of the WAC. So my first thought is that this is a a good thing for the WAC. I think it's a big deal for the WAC. I think it improves just kind of the, the quality of, of what they offer from a baseball perspective. I also think it makes a lot of sense geographically, not on its face necessarily, but I think what you can do now, and, and Teddy and I have talked about this offline, is I think what the WAC could do now is do, uh, whether they officially make divisions or not, I think it just makes sense for them to schedule it to where, okay, New Mexico State, you're going to be in a division or just at least play more often the southland teams that moved over and then basically everything from Grand Canyon on west you guys are going to play in whatever we want to call the western division here um obviously you're you're also adding uh UT Rio Grande Valley to that that Texas group of teams there
0: well and Tarlington, right so they add, tarleton, they don't even right. need new mexico the state that's to true. be part of it they can just go all Texas
1: that's a good point yeah so you could put new mexico state with the grand canyon group and move west and you could do a Texas cuz i keep forgetting tarleton uh no disrespect uh, to the Tarleton Texans, but they are, yes. So they are adding, um, they are adding Tarleton as well. So you have like a little Texas division, then you have more of a, a West coast division. So I think it is a positive in a lot of ways. And I, I tweeted that, you know, this is a big win for Rio Grande Valley. And I guess to a certain degree, Tarleton, because, you know, Rio Grande Valley's really been on an Island for a long time in that conference and, and Chicago state, by the way, you know, rest in peace to Chicago state baseball, but you know, they, those two programs were really on islands and every conference road trip. And by the way, every time a team from the West Coast had to go to those places was just such an arduous trip because, you know, I can speak for Rio Grande Valley. Getting from Edinburgh, Texas to Sacramento is probably not the easiest travel to to get done. So just not the easiest. uh, That's not a direct flight from Edinburgh to Sacramento. I'll put it that way. So I think it's good there. Yep. Go ahead.
0: Speaking of Sac State, uh, as someone that has a little more of a feel for FCS football than I do, why is Sac State not included in this? Because you know, if if you only pay attention to the WAC in baseball, like, like me, uh, you might not realize that Sac State is actually not a WAC member. They're they're in the Big Sky, and you know, it seems like they could they, they should be trying to consolidate their affiliate member here.
1: You would think. I mean, it, my only thought there is the Big Sky is a better is a better football conference. The Big Sky is. Typically, one of the better FCS football conferences. So you've got the Missouri Valley Football Conference, which is the SEC of FCS football. That's where North Dakota State plays, and, and a lot of the other powers in the in the sport. But the Big Sky is good too. It's got the Montana schools, um, and that they, they're typically pretty good. Um, so I think in uh, Eastern Washington was the other one I was trying to think of there, which is typically a very good, very good program. So the Big Sky is a really solid FCS conference. So my only thought is that if Sacramento State looks at its football program as its flagship program. And I can't speak to that, but if it wants to lead with football, maybe it's just prioritizing. We want to be in the best football league we can possibly be. And as much as this helps the WAC establish itself as an FCS football conference, I can't imagine it's going to make it one of the better ones right out of the gate. Obviously Sam Houston football has been pretty good last decade or so. um, But the other schools they're adding have been a little bit more up and down. So, um, Well, you know, uh, we'll we'll just kind of see. I mean, there could be more to this as well. I mean, I know Matt Brown's kind of talked about they've put feelers out in a few different places, so it kind of feels like maybe the WAC is not quite done yet. So we'll just have to see how that plays out. But from a baseball standpoint, I think it's it's really positive for the WAC. It is slightly negative for the Southland. Obviously, the Southland doesn't want to lose Sam Houston, which has been its most successful program over the last 15 years, I suppose. Um, But I don't think it's necessarily a crushing blow. You know, it's still obviously going to have southeastern Louisiana. It's still going to have McNeese, who Teddy and I are both very bullish on in the long term, especially as long as Justin Hill is there. Northwestern State, a really, really solid program. You know, they lose Lamar, which is historically uh, a flagship baseball program for the Southland, hasn't been as relevant uh, the last couple of decades. So that that's changing a little bit. And obviously, Abilene Christian and, and SFA haven't been as relevant either in recent years. So While they would, I think the Southland would prefer this not have happened. I also don't think it's really any sort of crushing blow for that conference. And on the other side, I think it might actually help for them to be a little bit of a smaller conference. Now, maybe the Southland decides, okay, we want to we lost these programs. Let's go around and kind of poke around and see who else we can get from Division II or wherever to come to the Southland. I think I'd be inclined to keep it as a smaller conference, though, because that conference has gotten unwieldly big. They can't play a round robin every year in baseball. Also, some of the programs they had pulled up from Division II have taken a little bit longer to get going than others, which is kind of, I think, um, you know, hurt the overall quality of the conference. And I think just a smaller conference might allow. conference to be a little bit better on a per capita basis and we'll have to wait and see on that but i I certainly did not come away from this news thinking that uh oh this is big trouble from a baseball standpoint for the southland conference
0: from a baseball standpoint like it really pulls the center of gravity in the league to louisiana uh fully i don't know where it was before but you know removing sam you know really means that the best southland baseball teams are now in Louisiana. Almost exclusively, probably exclusively. Um, I don't know what that means for anything, but it's interesting. Um, you know, there's a lot of good college baseball in Louisiana. There's there are players to go around there, but um it is uh that that is one change. I think this is not great for Sam Houston baseball. Um the WAC has the potential to be a pretty decent uh baseball league. But if they do division it out, um, they're not going to see the other really good baseball programs. Like UTRGV has, you know, made really nice strides under Derek Matlock, um, but the rest of the group there isn't as good. And you know, so if they could, if you could tell me, Sam was going to play Grand Canyon and Sac State and New Mexico State every year. I could really like get behind that is like, Oh, okay. Like there, that's a really nice quartet at the top of this league. And Oh, by the way, Cal Baptist is coming into it as a, uh, you know, they've, they've impressed since, since they joined and, um, you know, it, Seattle has had its moments. Um, you know, th- there's, there's a lot to be said for that, but those schools, if they do go in divisions, whether formally or informally, um, you know, Sam Houston's not going to see those teams as often. So I, that that's kind of a negative from their standpoint. But you know it's a, it's not like Sam Houston has been piling up, um, you know at large bids as it is. And B, you know, they're in a position where they can schedule a little more advantageously than some other teams in the conference. So if they did want to go out and try and get like better RPI, uh, games that they, they could do so in non-conference action.
1: Yeah. So that, I think, I think you're onto something there. I, I do think that as a factor, I think the thing about it is though, is that they may not get to play the best teams, of the whack every year, but that was also kind of the case in the Southland where you could really get hosed from year to year, depending on your, depending on your viewpoint by getting all of the worst teams in the Southland, you know, maybe some teams see that as a positive because, Hey, it gives us a better chance to compete for a high, you know, a higher spot in the standings in the Southland, or if you're Sam Houston or Southeastern or McNeese, it's uh, crap, it's gonna be a little bit harder to compete for an at-large bid here. So I think some of that was already happening in this conference where it was just getting, we've talked about this before, it was getting so hard for these teams to compete for an at-large bid because the quality of the conference had dipped on a per capita basis because they had gotten so big. And so So yes, the WAC might be tilted to where they're not going to be able to get those quality games every year, but they will get those quality games at least every other year, maybe every two out of three years, depending on how the schedule ends up splitting down the middle. And let's face it, to the point you just made, Sam Houston's at-large hopes really aren't necessarily going to be banking on putting up a gaudy record in conference because they've put up 24-6, and 25-5, and I forget what the record was, conference records in the Southland and haven't gotten in to – the NCAA tournament in those years, it's all about: Are we able to pick off A&M, Houston, Texas, Baylor, whoever else we can get in the midweek? If they can pick off two or three of those, plus go 23 and 7, 24 and 6, 25 and 5 in conference, now we're cooking. So really, if they don't pick off those midweek games, none of the other stuff is really going to matter all that much. And if they do, suddenly that opens the door. So if those midweek games don't go away, I think they're more or less kind of in the same position they've been in in recent years.
0: Yeah, and there's no reason to think that the midweek games would go away. Maybe they add a better conference weekend. I don't have their schedule in front of me, but I don't ever recall them scheduling up terribly well. in uh in the early season, like their best is usually when they get into the Shriners College Classic. Um and they they can make noise there. I they're not they're not it, it, you know, I say it like it's easy like, "Oh, why can't they just schedule some you know, why can't they schedule AM? Well, you know, AM is necessarily trying to play them. So, you know, it, it does take two to tango, but if they can find a way uh to improve that end of it, you know, that I it could be really good for the WAC. If if these programs continue their upward momentum, um, it could end up being pretty good for the WAC. Now there's a lot, you know, I I included New Mexico State and they like on the better end of it, but you know the jury is out right now without Brian Green there. Obviously, we saw limited action last year because of the pandemic. Uh, but what, what is what is New Mexico State without Nick, Nick Gonzalez and Brian Green? I don't know. We'll uh, we'll find out in the years to come what Mike Kirby has there. Uh, but right now, you know, it's there, there, there's a lot that that has been lost in the last two off seasons. Um, you know and it's one thing for cal baptist to come up and play really well right away uh but can you sustain that um you know so these are these are things to to work through but i i do think overall um good news for the WAC. uh interested to see how they how they line things up but it, the the WAC the quality of the WAC has been improving in the last few years and now if you're adding a team like sam houston state which has significant you know stuff on its resume this is a super regional um you know team uh, within the last few years and then you're also talking about adding you know some programs with upside like there is upside at Lamar i don't know how easy it's going to be to get back to that um but you know it's been done there before so and you're 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 talking about Texas baseball like the the upside is always there with any of these teams um, it, we'll see where they go from here, but I, I do like the future of the WAC overall. All right. That's going to do it for us here on the Baseball America podcast today. Uh, we hit on a lot of stuff there. There's a lot more on the website. If you're looking for more, we didn't even get to our top 25 this week of breakout performers, uh, which is a thing I just realized right now, Joe and I will probably address that next week on the Baseball America college podcast. Um, we're, uh, we're going to keep coming to you throughout the off season here with our weekly podcasts. Remember to subscribe to the baseball America podcast on your favorite podcasting app, Apple podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, you can find us. You can follow Joe and me on Twitter. I am at Ted Cahill. Joe is at Joe Healy BA and, uh, remember to drop Joe a screenshot of your, uh, of you listening to this podcast on Spotify for to take him up on his offer of uh drawing you a baseball player. Uh we appreciate everyone uh for listening uh to us this week and and throughout this this long off season that we are approaching the end of. So thank you for listening this week. Thank you to Air Force coach Mike Kozlowski for for joining us remember to check out the Rapsodo National Player Database at rapsodo.com nationaldatabase national database. For Joe, I'm Teddy. We'll talk to you next time on the Baseball America College Podcast.